Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to the Creative Shop Talk podcast. Before we jump into today's really cool podcast, I have an incredible guest for you today. I just want to remind you that we are jumping into our fifth, fifth annual holiday boot camp inside my retailer's inner circle. What is the holiday boot camp, you ask? Well, the holiday boot camp is a fantastic program. It's our fifth year doing it. Um, it gets better and better every year. And we're going to help you together. We're going to plan out your holiday marketing, your you know holiday goals. We're going to put all of that together now in August and September before it gets all crazy pants. We want you to be able to have uh, enjoy the season and actually take the time to do what you do best and serving your clients and that type of thing instead of running around with your head cut off. So if you ever find yourself winging it, if you ever find yourself overwhelmed with doing all the things at the last minute and social media and marketing and all the things, trying to create your events, and if you feel like you're missing things personally and in your business, um, we're going to plan that now when it's a little bit quieter and we're not so crazy pants. That actually is one of the um, biggest game changers for me when I first started doing my business. Uh, when my business turned around, it was because I put this plan in place way back in the day inside my shop and now I teach it to others. We've been doing it for five years now. So I wanna encourage you to join us. Um, you can join us inside the inner circle. It's wendybatten.com slash join. It's easy peasy. Come and join us inside the inner circle if you're not already a member. If you are a member, make sure you are showing up and checking in with the holiday boot camp. We start um, in the middle of August. So that is my spiel on that. I really think, uh, I, I really, no, I don't think, I know, uh, I'm confident that if you join us and you go through the boot camp with us, that you are going to see a different year this year in, in ease and profits, I promise you. Uh, it happens every time people do the, the boot camp with us. So together we'll map out your whole holiday. How's that sound like? Let's get it, let's get it done. All right, let's jump in to today's episode. I am so stinking happy and excited and privileged and whatever, all the things to introduce you to Shep Hyken. Uh, he is a customer service and experience expert and a New York Times and Wall Street bestselling author. I am a huge fan of his books, to be honest. Shep works with companies and organizations that want to build loyal relationships with their customers and employees. See why? I love that. It's all up my alley. <laughs> his articles have been read in hundreds of publications, and he's the author of eight books, including his newest book, I'll Be Back, How to Get Customers to Come Back Again and Again. He's also the creator of the Customer Focus, a, a customer service training program that helps clients develop a customer service culture and loyalty mindset. Now, do you see why I love him so much? This is right up my alley. I am a big fan of Shep and his newest book is something that a lot of my members inside my inner circle have been reading. We've had discussions about it um, and I am so honored to have him here today. We also, uh, Shep shares some great takeaways. It's just a great conversation. Um, we could, I could have talked to him all day, but I was trying to be, <laughs> I was trying to be nice. So I hope you enjoy this. I know you will. I really want to encourage you to listen to this. This, uh, right through to the end. He shares some really big nuggets at the very end and some great takeaways. And um, yeah, let's get to it. I'm excited for you all to be introduced if you don't know Shep already and to listen to our conversation. So here we go. Without further ado, put your earpods in and let's go. 
Hey, Shep, I am so excited to have you here on the Creative Shop Talk podcast. Welcome. Hey, I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. This is a privilege and a pleasure to have you here. My listeners, my inner circle, my program, people that are in my programs are well aware of your books because I talk about them quite a bit. It's a almost not required reading, but we well, do talk you. about <laughs> we are we are really big on customer experience, customer loyalty. And I'm so excited that you said yes when I <laughs> You guys like, what's the answer? The worst thing that could happen is he says no. And he said, yes. So thank you. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. It truly, no, no worries. I love doing it. I let's spread the word. You know, we want to create this amazement revolution where people are out there uh, creating amazing experiences, because especially for the types of businesses that are listening to the show, um, I think it's more important than ever to understand how to compete against the big boxes, against the onlines, against really any competitor that you have. But if you're a, an entrepreneur that owns one or two small stores, uh, you've got, you know, I think you actually have an advantage, but you've got to understand what that is in order to be able to work it. Well, let's talk about that. That's one of the questions. You know, a lot of the retailers listening, they don't get the, whoa, oh, woe is me. And I hate putting that on them. But sometimes we hear that. It's like, I can't compete with the big box, the Amazons of the world, the, the big things. And I'm... The op- I feel the opposite. I kind of get surprised when they say that. So let's talk about that. How can and what advantage do um, brick and mortar independents like smalls? What do we have competitive okay. advantage over? It's simple relationship. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest pieces of it. Relationship, feeling connected, uh, being involved in the community. Uh, you know, I can give you example after example, and some of these stores aren't necessarily small, but they're independently owned, like an Ace Hardware store. And by the way, I wrote a book. Uh, I don't, are you familiar with the book? Amaze every customer every time. And I used Ace Hardware as the role model through the entire book. It's not a book about them, but the reason I use them is because number one, uh, almost everybody knows who Ace Hardware is, especially in North America, but they are in 76 countries around the world. They have over 40. Uh, I want to say 4,500 stores, maybe 4,700 stores. So they're pretty big. Most of those are owned by uh, uh, one, you know, they may own one, sometimes two, but most of them are single shop owners. And I, I interviewed 85 of these people in order to write the book that I wrote. And I learned about, hey, we were in this business for, for 30 years. We've been, the, been in the same location. They've got a nice size store. It's 8,000 square feet. That's not bad. Okay. But when Home Depot goes up next door, I mean, directly next door, and they've got 130,000 feet, 100, yeah, something like that, 130 plus thousand. And they outspend in advertising more than 30 to one. How does a, a shop like that survive? Right. And they not only survive, in many cases, they thrive. They did even better in the literal shadow of this competitor, this big box competitor. And the way they did it is understanding who their customer was and engaging at the, with the community of customers, their tribe, so to speak, at a level that a big box store can't do. Oh, they can scale communication. They can, and, and by the way, I'm nothing against the big box stores. Yeah. They work and they serve their purpose. And, and even uh, as I was talking, and I know the CEO, John Van Heisen of Ace Hardware would kill me if he if I reveal the fact that yes, every once in a while, he may stop by one of those stores because they have what Ace doesn't have. They have, uh, it's, it's a different, total different experience. But what Ace did, well, I'll give you an example. Um, and we can talk about many things, but this is my favorite example. 
down in Houston, Texas, or just outside of Houston. Literally been there 30, 40 years, family business, small store, 150,000 square foot store opens up next to them. How do they compete? The guy decides, I'm going to pull every piece of advertising I do. I can't afford to compete when they're outspending me the way they do. So he pulls the ad budget, and what he decides to do is start sponsoring all the baseball teams and soccer teams and church dances and, and school functions and whatever it is that he can contribute and engage and endear himself even more to the community that he does. And by doing that, it's like, wow, the doors opened up and and they're basically his customers said, we are never going to let you hurt, even though next door you've got this big store. The other thing uh, one of the owners did is they went to this big store next door and said, hey, um, I'm little, you're big. I'm sure there's things that we do that you don't and, and things that we can send your our customers to that you have that we don't. Uh, let's talk about that. And it's like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yeah, no, I believe in that. Yeah, I see yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And that those are the kinds of things that, that as, as owners of small businesses, we can do, you're not going to see the owner of Home Depot walking next door to the customer or to the competitor and saying, Hey, what can we do to be able to mutually benefit off of each other? That's just not going to happen most likely. Yeah. And I, and I, and again, not to be bashing or anti big box, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I shop Amazon, right. But I always try to shop local first, but why do we shop local? Like, well, how do we keep them local? So advertising marketing in that format, I'm a big believer in getting out in your community. We get so wrapped up in, um, all the social media and online stuff. Well, likes are not bringing customers in the door, right? Or whatever it is that you're doing, right? So advertising in different ways and promoting. So I always say, go to your people. Where are your people hanging out? Like, let's go hang yeah. out with them. You know, uh, even going to the to the local bank with your logoed bag on and, you know, actually going into the bank, talking to the tellers, talking to people. Like, I'm a big believer in marketing by feeling and emotion and connection, right? So that's, uh, right. that's important can, in small town, right? That's really- Yeah, important. you can do some of that in social media. I believe that you engage your tribe and 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 you actually don't just post something. You, right. So I, I'm writing an article. Um, I'm trying to remember where it's going. It might be going into Forbes in the next uh, week or two. And, and I say, we need to stop calling it content marketing. Yeah. We need to call it a content experience. Right. And the difference is, is we put something out there that's interesting to our people, and just post that's advertising and marketing. Yep. But if you get an engagement where there's conversation about something, well, that's an experience. So we want to create the content experience. We start what looks to be like content marketing, but as soon as people start reacting, engaging, making a comment, we don't just sit there and like it. We engage with them and we respond. And again, we're small, we're nimble. We should take the time to do that. Uh, how much time does it take? I know um, you know, I'm very lucky. I have a, a, a small team and my job is to create content and to respond to content. It's not to post and activate, which means that a couple of times a day, my assistant will send me a list of anybody that's reacted and, and needs a comment from me. It doesn't matter if it's in Twitter, if it's in uh, Facebook, if it's on LinkedIn, I will actually, I see what it is and I respond appropriately. And I don't actually post it to the Facebook LinkedIn account. I just send it back to her and she activates it. So it allows me to get a, cons, a consolidation of it all. That saves me a tremendous amount of time. And uh, so if you have somebody that can kind of help you with the technology side of it, the mm-hmm. posting and the operational side, you can, 
you can free yourself up to focus on really engaging the right way creatively and conversationally with your customers. Well, and it keeps us in in contact with what they're saying, right? Like, yep. you know, if your customers are like, oh my gosh, I love that lavender, you know, paint that you're painting. So yeah, I'm a big believer in that as well too. I mean, we have actually, it's really funny. One of the most, probably most engaging content I've ever done. And I, I'm a, I was on Facebook live when it first came out. I didn't even know I wasn't, I don't know. I was an early adapter apparently, but I didn't know that I was just, I like to talk. <laughs> I like to share and talk. Do you really? It was hard. It's hard to tell. (laughs) So we had, you know, I had a studio and a shop and um, I had a huge paint spill. Like I spilled paint everywhere, fell off the shelf, fell down paint, you know, and I literally grabbed my camera and took, I didn't know how to move, but I was sharing it live on on Facebook or whatever. And it was hilarious. People talked about that for years. Remember the time you spilled the paint, you know? it's just real life, right? So sharing content that people could connect with and can relate to definitely is something that the bigger stores can't do that I feel like we can do because we can chat with them. And whether we have a team to help us or whether we're just, you know, carving in a little bit of time every day to engage with people uh, in a scheduled time, maybe, uh, or when your paint spills all over you and you see the opportunity, it's, it's important to do that. So one of the things I think we have the competitive advantage of and the big, like the big, I'll be back part. And again, I'm um, a big fan of the book is that that's what we want. We want people to come back. Are you talking about this book? This book, yes. (laughs) I'll be back. (laughs) I'll be back. And and actually real quick, you know, you say it kind of with that Austrian accent, like Arnold Schwarzenegger would have said it in the Terminator. And it has a little Terminator feel to the font. But I'll be back, subtitled, how to get customers to come back again and again. When I started with the title, until I started writing, I had all this in my head, what I wanted to do. So, okay, it's time to get serious. About three sentences into my outline, I said, wait a minute, who made this line famous? I'll be back. Arnold in the Terminator. So um, it, while it really, it references Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in the movie, it really is not about that <laughs> at all, but it is. Isn't that what you want your customers to do is say, I'll be back and then actually come back because the, by the way, there's a difference saying it and doing it are, are two different things. But the fact that they'll say it is is a good start, isn't it? Well, let's talk about that. So I'll be back in different versions. Uh, and, and by the way, I love all the <laughs> the Arnold quotes in there. Really, they're all appropriate too. They all make sense in the book. Um, but and, and the book again is is really well done. Thank you um, very much. Loyalty, loyalty versus repeat customers mm-hmm. is different. So I'll be back in a loyal version or in a just a repeat version. Can we let's talk about that? Sure, I sure. love so your... there's by the way, I and I emphasize this all the time. I love repeat customers. Yeah. In order to get loyal customers, they have to start to become repeat customers, right? Mm-hmm. And and there's nothing so but but I want companies to understand there's a big difference. The fact that somebody comes back to you again and again does not necessarily mean they're loyal, but you've got to nurture them and hopefully turn them into that. So here's the point. Uh, we'll go back to why I even started writing the book. I amass a lot of content over time because I write numerous articles every week, week after week after week. And it was time for me to think about the next book. I happen to be working with a client who is in the salon industry. They cut hair. I can't believe they actually hired the bald guy to <laughs> talk to a bunch of salon managers uh, but and, and owners. So uh, I had a big audience and we talked about what was important as far as measurement. This, by the way, is in the book. We talked about the most important metrics. Is it net promoter score, which is on a scale of zero to 10, what's the likelihood that you would 
you refer us to somebody, hence promote you. Um, and they call it NPS, customer satisfaction, CSAT, any type of score and ranking to let you know how you did. And I, my comment was all that we learn from all of these rankings is a history lesson. It's what happened yesterday or last week. It's not what's going to happen tomorrow. Now we learn from history and we use history to create the right experience for the future. But what I really want us to focus on is not just the history, but the actual behavior. Does the customer come back? And if they come back, I wanna measure the cadence of the comeback. Uh, so in the hair salon business, it's really easy. I don't know if you go somewhere to get your hair done, but uh, I'll ask, how often do you get your hair done? Every five weeks. Every five weeks. So your cadence is every five weeks. If you go seven weeks or eight weeks without stopping in, will your salon stylist, whoever it is that does your hair, will they reach out to you and say, hey, is everything okay? I, I missed you. Right. No. Right. So, yeah. so they may or may not. But the point is, in that business, they want to watch the cadence of that customer. If they know you're every five weeks, you're going to show up about 10 times a year. And if we don't see you 10 times a year, what are we doing wrong? Where are you going the other times? Right. What, what caused that? So we want to identify the behavior. Now, what our goal is, is to move the first time or second, third time customer into becoming a regular customer. And regular means different things to different um, types of businesses. Yeah. And hair salon, you've got to come back on a regular cadence because your hair gets long. But somebody that owns an art store, you know, perhaps art supplies, are they coming in on a regular basis? And you kind of know who they are and you can keep track of them through whatever program that you're using. So I then refer to them as a repeat customer until we know for sure why they keep coming back to us. So what's the reason? Is it because we're the cheapest in town, lowest price? Or is it because we're the closest to you and the next closest competitor is five miles away? What would happen if that competitor moved on the other side uh, closer to your, your customer, would the customer still come to us? All of a sudden that repeat customer becomes a non-existent customer because we didn't understand why they were coming back. But right. if we understand that the only reason they come back is because we're close to them, we have to work to make, make something else a reason that they would come back. Maybe it's your pretty face. Maybe it's my handsome demeanor. Maybe it's, you know, my charm and personality. Maybe it's my knowledge. Maybe it's the fact that I make you feel really good when you come in here, I feel there's a connection. So loyalty is often, it comes from a great customer service plus confidence, potentially equals repeat business, if not even loyalty. But what we wanna do is create that trust level. That's where confidence comes in. And when you get to that point where there's trust, that's your emotional connection. And so um, that's, uh, I know I'm going on and on in this, but no. it's really important to understand the difference between repeat business and loyal business. One other thought, if you have like a, uh, a loyalty program, let's call let's the simplest one. You come in here, you buy my sandwich. The fifth time you come in, the fifth one's free. Okay. People say, oh, that's my loyalty program. No, it's not. It's a discount program. It's a marketing program because basically what you're saying is that on the fifth sandwich, it's free. That's like a 20% discount across the board. And you need to recognize is that if you took away the card and, and didn't give it out, would people still come back at the same frequency? If the airlines took away their frequent flyer miles, would customers remain loyal to them even though there's no perk anymore? You know, uh, So find out what drives loyalty beyond material perky things when I say per like loyalty perks yeah. and incentives. 
because that's where you're going to find your true loyalty. I could not agree. I'm 100% in agreement with that. I have a really hard time. And there's so many listeners. And if you're listening right now and you're like, well, I have a punch card. I have a punch card. That's what I hear that. Punch card's fine. That's a repeat customer strategy. And it's a great strategy. And do not give that up. And please don't misunderstand. I am totally about repeat business. Okay. But the next level is loyalty. And I think it's understanding the difference and how do we create that loyalty? So again, it could be, why are people coming back? Is it the, the music you always play? Is it the consistent, um, is it the consistency is like you just said, is it the knowledge? Predictability um, and consistency. You know, yeah. The one thing, the, another advantage, I believe that small businesses that might, you know, brick and mortars have is we have the knowledge of our products and we actually have, we care about them. And I actually, I believe that probably is one of the things ACE has up their sleeve too. They probably have the plumber in the plumber department. You know what I mean? Not a random teenager, right? So nothing wrong with random teenagers, but you know what I I love random teenagers. Yeah. yeah, I also love the plumber when I need a plumbing plumber or electrician. Right. Uh, By the way, Home Depot, Menards and, and uh, you know, Lowe's, they all have those plumbers and electricians. I always say, if you want help in those stores, go look for the old person. Oh yeah, go look for the old people. Yeah, chances well, are they did what it is that you. That's that's actually what I say. But even our teams inside. So I think that you know you have to again identify what it is that's making people loyal. But a lot of retailers, I think, a mistaken customer service. Well, we're really nice. We're really nice. We're really nice, and you know we. But there's there's so many different layers than that, and it's watching your customers' behavior. I think is, and I've heard you mention this before, and I've read it. Behavior is really what we want to watch, right? Like, and we want to measure. Is that is that an accurate statement? Or yeah, uh, no, no doubt you want to do that. But by the way, you know, there's a chapter in the book I call it the shortest customer service speech in the world, and it's two words long. And it's the short version of it is I was supposed to have forty or so minutes to speak, and because everybody ran late. I only had two minutes left and the client said, nah, you don't need to go on. I go, no, I've got an important message. And I came on and I said, uh, I'm going to give you the shortest speech in the world. Here it is. Be nice. And I started to walk off and I stopped. I said, but hold on. I've written eight books about how to be nice. Be nice is simply a foundational piece of everything beyond that is, is really the, the experience and how you create it. But it starts with being nice because if you're not friendly or nice, the number one, we do a customer service research every year. Uh, we interview over a thousand consumers weighted to the basically uh, the, the census of the United States. So we've got age, uh, gender, ethnicity, geography, and, and we find out what is it that makes you want to come back. And the, the number one reasons people want to come back are friendly and knowledgeable. Okay. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the number one reasons people don't come back is because apathy is, is a word. And I use that word to kind of describe not so much unfriendly, but not caring. Yeah. So this is what amazes me. When I first started my business in a long, long time ago, I would read all the studies that were coming out. The Technical Assistant Research Program, TARP, came out with a study on consumer behavior. And they said that more than 70% of customers leave for only one reason. But out of 100% of your customers leaving, more than 70% leave because apathy from one employee. Somebody didn't wow. seem to care. Wow. And, and this is why it's so important to make sure you hire the right people and train them on the behavior that you want them to do when it comes to customers. And that is, first of all, care, be nice and care, be friendly, care. And you know what? Next is be knowledgeable. So we need to train people properly. Those are the top reasons customers will start to want to come back there. And by the way, 
being amazing isn't about being over the top and blowing people away with the most incredible service ever. Being amazing is simply a little better than average all the time. What does a little better than average look like? Uh, you used my name. Once you found out my name and you remembered me when I came back, that's not amazing. But here's what people say. They're always so friendly. They always remember me. They always get back to me when they say they will. Uh, they always have the information when I the answers to my questions. The word always followed by something that's probably expected anyway is what makes companies and people amazing. It's not about, uh, and by the way, you will have those chances to go over the top one day when there's a problem and, and fix it. But you don't want to wait for those rainy days, so to speak, to uh, have them fall in your lap to make a great impression and, and get that customer come back. So foundational, be nice. Create a consistent experience where people will say always followed by something positive. I, I love that. And I and I I don't want to I don't want to give your book away. I want people to go read the book. So I mean, you can give as much of it away because one of the thing, well, one of the, you know, one of the if things. all they wanted was the, you know, it's like they they they're going to get a little bit of nuggets yeah. in there, but they can study the book. And there's questions at the end of each chapter for you to sit down with two or three or all of your employees and go over the questions and talk about how can we operationalize some of the ideas that are in this book. Yeah, that's exactly actually what I was I, like. I love the way you wrap up. So you talk a lot about being frictionless and making things easy for your clients. Mm -hmm. The book I feel is very easy for people. Busy retailers are like, I don't have time to read a book. That's what I hear. I don't have time to read a book. So I'm like, just go read it as best you can. But at the end of every chapter, there's a great wrap up for your team. So I do love that. Uh, and I think that's great. Um, we talk a lot about... Um, you know, satisfying the customer and that 1%, that like just a little bit better, just a little bit better, be amazing, right? How do we be amazing? And I love, I've heard you speak before about the going through the customer journey. And could you speak a little bit to that and how, how to implement that, how be, how to be amazing a little bit better in through the Sure. Are, are you referring to the journey map? Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically this is an old concept. When I say old, it's probably been around 10, 15 years, the idea of a journey map, yeah. but I can go back into the 1980s and talk about Jan Carlson. And he had this great concept called the moment of truth. Mm -hmm. Anytime a customer comes into contact with any aspect of the business, they form an impression. That's the moment of truth. Now he ran an airline, Scandinavian Airlines. And at the time the airline was not doing very well. So he said, we need to turn this around. So he got all of his people together in a big airplane hangar in every city they had a presence. And he shared with this idea of the moment of truth. And he goes, let me give you some examples. And he actually took people through the typical journey that a passenger has. They make a reservation. Now, today we do that online, but back then it was always on the phone. Main moment of truth. At the day of departure, they may check their bags at the curb. Uh, that's another main moment of truth. They go inside of the ticket counter and then they're walking to their gate. Today we go through security and all that, but maybe on the way to the gate, they see a flight attendant from not your flight, but maybe another flight, but it's still the same airline. So they represent the airline and the flight attendant smiles, you know, not a big deal that, but it's still a moment of truth. And of course the ticket agent, the experience on the plane, being on time, showing up and having your bags. All of these are main moments of truth with maybe some little ones sprinkled in the middle. He says, if we manage all of those, that's the journey that our passenger takes with us, not just to the destination on an airplane, but yeah. what they experience when they do with business with us. We should do that for our own businesses. What does the journey of your customer look like? Do they make a phone call, look at an ad, see something first? 
What's the drive onto your parking lot like? What's the entrance as they walk in? You know, when they walk in, are they greeted? Uh, what's the experience as they walk up and down the aisles of your store or look around your shop or whatever? What does every touch point look like? Map it out and there'll be different maps for the repeat customer versus mm -hmm. the customer that just goes online and buys and never comes in if you have that part of, of your business set up. But understand what these different journeys are. Look at every interaction point and find out, is there a way I can make this a little bit better? And, and constantly be looking at those interaction points. And you know, don't do it just once. Six months later, come back, do it again. Maybe there's something new that's come out that you can you know, add to the experience. Yeah, I think that's great. And just a little bit better than, you know, than the last time or a little bit better and keep, I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. And I think we're always tweaking that, right? So um, we're always tweaking that we're always, you know, it's like you said, not something that we ever get, we shouldn't rest our laurels on or whatever, you know? No. Yeah. One of the silver linings from the pandemic over you know, for the last, I don't, are we out of it? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> we're just jumping around. I, feel I think like we're, we're going to be in it for many years to come, but the good news is we're, we're adapting to it. Adapting. I, yeah, I totally actually. And I honestly, people don't talk about this a lot, but small independents have done really well. A lot of my clients have done really, really well in the last uh, couple of years in that they've had loyal, they've built loyalty and they've, you know, tweaking the loyalty programs to do different things. Um, can you speak a little bit to how we can get our team on board with buying into that? I know like, and I, and I say that because it's sometimes that's hard to the culture maybe of getting everyone on board. <laughs> like what are sure. your, have some tips on that, on our best way to get our staff to feel that customer journey. And I guess maybe mm -hmm. having them part of that. And well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to hit a couple of points here. There's something that's in the book and something that's in another book, but I think let's, let's bring them together. First of all, you have to hire the right people to start yeah. with. So okay. if, if they, you know, put a mirror underneath their nose and it fogs up, that doesn't mean they should be hired. You know, it means that you have a live <laughs> body, but do they have the right personality? Because yeah. if they don't, and you have a certain reputation and they don't fit into the alignment of what you're all about, you're right. going to ruin your reputation because that one person represents everybody in your organization at that point mm -hmm. in time. If you've got five employees or 5,000 employees, if one of them, is bad. And that's the one that I deal with. That's the reputation your company now has with me. So yeah. keep that in mind. Number two, I want you to think about the culture that you create. And we want to create an experience that's fulfilling, exploits the unique talents of the people that we hired and gets them excited about what's next. So is this the kind of, I mean, there are people, I'll give you an example. I mean, it's a pretty big chain, the container store, yeah. but one of the types of people that they like to hire are, I, I think they refer to them as neatniks. They're mm -hmm. neat and orderly people. That's part of their personality. That's why they love the container store. So if you have a pet store and you have a lover of animals, well, you're not going to probably hire somebody that isn't a lover of animals, right? Yeah. So think about who you're hiring, hiring right. And, and this will be more fulfilling for them. Uh, obviously they have a joy that's a uniqueness to them. Maybe they have a talent within that. Um, <clears throat> if they, uh, give me a great example, there's a, a server that had been in a restaurant at a hotel and I've been going to this hotel for years. I go, man, you're still here. He goes, I love it here. You, what do you love about it? Well, I mean, obviously I'm a server. I, I enjoy that, but I love to do video. And once a month, they asked me to shoot a video of all the food that we have here and post it on Instagram and all that. 
And that fulfills him with a unique talent. So <clears throat> that's important. And then he's excited about what's next. All right, culture is important. You have to clearly define what it is that you're about. And that is a one sentence vision statement. I call it a customer experience vision statement. And, and I refer to it as a mantra, one sentence or less. Ace Hardware, the helpful hardware place. The Ritz Carlton, where ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. That's nine words long. And when you come to work, you understand what this is. And then once you're onboarded as an employee, I'm gonna, if I'm the owner, if I'm the manager, I'm gonna teach you things. Is it gonna be formal training? Ideally, starting out, there needs to be some level of that, but I'm gonna constantly remind you and reinforce you along the way as you're doing the good work that you're doing and that it aligns with the uh, mantra that we have. So start by defining it, communicating it, train your people to it. By the way, as a leader, you need to be a role model. So you need to practice what you preach. You need to defend your culture if somebody's going out of alignment and if they're doing a great job, you need to celebrate it and let them know. That's fantastic. Really, really great. Thank you. So if there's one thing we can take away as we wrap up, because I you know I promised you I would honor your time today and I so appreciate your time. One thing, one action item that my uh, shop owners can take away that they should do right now. Uh, is this your idea or my idea? Your idea. Okay. Buy the book. <laughs> No, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, I know. I love it. That's great. By the, I agree. So, actually, I am on board with that. Well, I think we've talked about a number of things yeah. uh, that you can do, but I, I, I want to throw out a couple of ideas. Number one, customer service or customer experience. It's not a department. It's a philosophy yeah. and it needs to be embraced by everybody. So keep that in mind. Uh, number two, it's everybody's job. Even if somebody doesn't see the customer, maybe you've got somebody in the back that does nothing but, you know, unbox things that are coming into your back room for shipping. Maybe they bought their storage. They need to recognize where they fall into the customer experience. If I'm in the back uh, packing a box up to be shipped out and I don't pack it properly and the customer gets it and it's damaged in route, you know, uh, you could say, oh, it was the carrier's problem, they damage it, or wasn't my problem. I impact that customer's experience regardless of what I do. Make sure everybody knows that they're on the right page. And I want to, I guess a good point is the, what I call the awesome uh, responsibility. We'll end with that. And that is at any given time, and I kind of mentioned this, if you have 5,000 employees and only one of them is bad, and I get that one, that person is who represents my brand at that point. That's my reputation. So we need to make sure that everybody understands that their awesome responsibility is to recognize that at any given time, they are your brand. They're the, you know, your, your reputation, your name, the brick and mortar, they're everything about you. So when a customer interacts with that employee, they need to understand this incredible responsibility that you've given them, that this trust that you've given them to carry your vision, your reputation, and your brand forward. That's, so that's awesome brilliant. responsibility. I love that. The awesome responsibility. That's fantastic. So thank you so much. Where can people find you? Where's the best place for us to send people to find to more Shep? <laughs> yeah, hiking.com, H-Y-K-E-N. Uh, you know, sign up free. You'll get my research report, which I think you'll find a lot of interesting facts and and some great data on why service and experience is important. Plus there's some humorous once, did you know that I believe it's 48% of customers would rather uh, go to the dentist and call customer support? 
That's really great. That's a great way. Actually, I love the report. So we will have that attached. Thanks to that. And, yeah. and you'll get my newsletter, which has a cartoon every week and a lesson on customer service. And then you can just bounce around and look at video and there's all kinds of things. Yeah. If you want to buy the book, just go to Amazon. We love yeah. it when you go there. It's great. So yeah. And your newsletters are fantastic, by the way. The Thank Shepherd, you. Shepherd letter is really good. So I love it. I really, I really appreciate your newsletter. There's not many that I read every week. So there we go. How's that? Thank you. <laughs> Nothing else. Take, take seven seconds to look at the cartoon and that yeah. is enough. Yeah. Cause it's fun. <laughs> I agree. You do a great job with that. So thank you so much for your time and attention today. I appreciate you taking time out of your business. Oh, it's my pleasure, Wendy. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much, Shashap. Appreciate you. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Creative Shop Talk podcast. I'm so glad that you're here to join us this week, and I hope you found value in what we're sharing here. I want to remind you that our website has all of the show notes. You can find it at wendybatten.com slash podcast. Everything that you need to hear about today's podcast is there. Also an opportunity if you need to reach out to me. If I can support you in any way whatsoever, please feel free to reach out. Make sure you join our Rockstar Creatives Facebook group. We will continue the conversation over there weekly. So thanks for joining us. Please leave a review, subscribe if you can, and never miss an episode. We hope to see you back here again next week. Thanks, my friend. Have a great week.